Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. I am Andrew, and today I am joined by my brother Dan and my good acquaintance, Chris Nelson. Uh, we have recorded seven episodes of the Better Questions Podcast, but the 30 minutes it took to get Chris on Skype would say otherwise. So we're really excited for this episode. I can literally see Chris Nelson foaming at the mouth to get into this question. And today's question is, when will Jesus return? And before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you guys, if you are liking our discussions, liking our podcast, go ahead, whether that on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, subscribe, like, leave us five stars, leave us four stars if you don't like the sound of my voice. Regardless, let's get into it. So not too long ago, I got an email sent to me, and here's what the subject line read. First of all, it was a foreword because aren't all the best emails forewords? And the first part was all caps, final warning, comma, then not all caps, the mark of the beast, and 666. This was the email subject sent to me, and in the body of the email, the person was going through a decision that was being made by the Vatican with the Catholic Church. And here's a quote from the body of the email. While the world spins with ever-distracting events, and some church groups focus on other issues, an issue that immediately precedes the Lord's return, and the issue of which the Lord warns in Revelation 14 transpires almost unnoticed and misunderstood right before our eyes. God has warned his church. And then there's a PDF booklet attached to it that's 215 pages long uh, describing what exactly that warning is. But apparently whatever is happening right now with the Vatican is the issue discussed in the Bible immediately preceding the Lord's return, and we're all missing it. I, it really sounds to me like you downloaded a computer virus. Like, were you trying to get recruited by the Illuminati or something? So what did it say was the issue? Does it ever spell out what that thing is? No, you have to pay for the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does. I don't know that you want me to get into it right now. I, th I think I could probably guess. <laughs> So when will Jesus return? I've got to think that there's a lot of different views on that. Not only trying to think about timing, but what kinds of events are going to happen at the end and what kind of events are going to happen leading up to the end. And I think scripture both has a lot to say about that and also not a whole lot to say about that. Yeah. And I would say I know that this is a really pertinent question because in my church context, both in student ministry and within um, adult ministry, a lot of times we do things where we allow people to text in questions. And 
every single time I would say I get at least one question that says something like, do you think we're living in the end times? Do you think Jesus is going to return soon, etc.? So this is a question that is definitely on people's minds a lot. Yeah, and the question specifically talking about the return of Jesus, but all of that is wrapped up with a whole bunch of other issues. Rapture theology, there's the book of Revelation, uh, there's so much going on. It, th- there's even a political tie to all this with what's going on in Israel and people's views on Jesus' return is being hev- heavily involved in the dialogue of the tensions in the Middle East right now. So whenever you open this can of worms, I mean, it just keeps going and going. And it's really hard to keep your head on straight and focus when you have this kind of com- conversation. Right. And so where my brain goes is like trying to narrow down these views and then we can kind of dissect them a little bit. Not only the views themselves, but then what scriptures they go to. But I would say that there's probably a camp of people that take everything that the Bible has to say about the end times, about Jesus's return completely at face value and completely literally. So that would be camp one talking about rapture, talking about all those seals literally being opened in revelation, all of those images literally happening, the literal 1000 years uh, millennia as described. Um, And then Jesus literally descending on a horse um, to the earth, new heaven and new earth, all of that. So they would believe that there's going to be a lot of tension in the world, a lot of natural disasters, a lot of political distress. And then at some point, the Christians will be raptured and taken away. Kirk Cameron gets left behind and tries to, <laughs> tries to, you know, do the best he can. Then there's more disasters. Stars fall from the sky. There's an antichrist figure uh, that apparently in the movies was like a, a Caucasian man who was trying to like create world peace. And then there's more disaster and there's all these plagues. And then Jesus finally comes back, stabs some dudes. And then all the other Christians get taken away. Right. Group one would be a literal reading of the scriptures. I think group two would take a look at those scriptures and see them as symbolic. There's definitely, whether you see them as literal or not, you can definitely see that specifically revelation has a lot of imagery that it borrows from the Old Testament. And so a second group would look at that and say, this isn't literally how Jesus is going to return. Um, John was writing to the people of his day about a specific thing and using Old Testament imagery to communicate something specifically to that group of people. I think that could be a safe second Uh, camp. And then I would propose that there's actually a third camp um, that would actually, that would say that all of what I just said is true in the second camp, but would go a step further and would even say that even the literal return of Jesus is a symbol and that they would say Jesus is not actually returning. And I would like to take this moment to make that even more complicated and convoluted, if that's okay. So you just laid out some answers to the question, how will Jesus return? But I feel like we've also thrown out the big question, when will Jesus return? And even within those camps you just described, 
there's disagreement on the when. Some people, uh, kind of what Andrew already alluded to, would say, well, things are going to continue to get worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus will return. Some people say once every person on the face of the earth has at least heard the gospel and had the opportunity to respond or reject it, then Jesus will return. Some people, this is uh, a really different viewpoint called praetorism, would actually say Jesus has already returned. That is a lot more of a fringe view, but some people do hold it. Uh, There are some people that say some really specific things have to happen in and with the nation of Israel before Jesus will return. Some people would say things are actually going to get better and better as God uses the church to reconcile and redeem creation before Jesus returns. So this question of when really is all over the place. And a fun fact, all predictions of Jesus's return have been wrong so far in human history. So, well, that's true. We didn't even get into that of the really, really fringe views that would give specific dates of when Jesus is supposed to return. There's lots of different views. And again, like we've mentioned, once you go down the road of one specific view, all these other different opinions and views having to do with revelations and your end times eschatology happen, like, you know, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, no rapture, uh, amillennialism, like all like, man, like you could just get lost in all of this theology and discussion. But I want to ask, what is at the heart of this question? Yeah, I think that's that's great to ask. What is at the heart of this question? Because as I'm listening to all of that, all of those views, it's just reminding me why I think that this question is not that helpful. And it's because with all these views, there's so much room for disagreement. There's so much room for um, like demonizing a fellow brother or sister in Christ just because they don't agree with you on this end time philosophy. There's just too much room for disagreement uh, for my taste. That's one reason why I think it's not helpful. The second reason why I think it's not helpful is because literally in the Bible, it also says that no one knows the day or the hour, not even Jesus knows. Uh, Only the father knows. And so how, how could we sit here and think we could figure out as humans when it's going to happen, when only God, the father himself knows the Trinity, the Trinity is split on that. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, but I'd actually like to backtrack just for a second, if that's okay. And address the question Andrew threw out there of what do we think is at stake? Because I was thinking about that and I have an opinion on that question that I'd be curious your thoughts on my opinion. Understand that even from a pastoral angle. And I think there's two different angles coming at it, but they both stem from fear. So one would be fear of what is going to happen when Jesus returns, because 
I I feel like I need to be doing certain things in order to go with Jesus when he comes back for us. And so I'd like to know when he's coming back so that I make sure before that happens, I've done all the right things because I have a fear of not going with Jesus when he returns. Uh, But then there's another fear that is fear of living in this world where there's so much evil and suffering and all of these different things. And sometimes there's just that desperation of I'm so over this. How how much longer am I going to have to put up with this life? When is Jesus coming back? And I think there's some fear in that response as well. I think you're right on the money there, Chris. Um, Fear of not being like Andrew joked about Kirk Cameron earlier of not being left behind fear also that you're going to have to stay in this world longer. That's something like personally that has never resonated with me. Like this whole idea of like, this world is not my home. I made for another home. Like I know a lot of people that believe that and, and just get a lot of fruit out of that spiritually. And that's great for them. But for me, that's never resonated because this is my home actually. Like, And I do have to live here now and endure however many years I have left. And I don't want to just endure them. I'd love to be used for a purpose. I mean, Paul says to live is Christ. Yes, to die is gain, but to live is Christ. And I don't know. That's just me personally. I don't don't want to live with that fear of having to stay in this world and letting this world be a burden. I would rather, you know, try and make the most of the time I have left. And that reminds me of another reason I don't think this is a helpful question. It places the focus on the wrong thing. So, so often we ask, when will Jesus return? Because we have this understanding of earth as like a bus stop. And we're just waiting for Jesus or a rapture or the end of the world to take us away on a bus to heaven. Nice C.S. Lewis reference there. That was? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I was not consciously trying to reference C.S. Lewis. Oh, wow. Great divorce. I'll take it. I haven't even read that. Man, me and C.S. Lewis must must think alike. Anyway, continue. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) Anyway, it places the focus on the wrong thing. And I remember when I was uh, younger and I was starting to get into like end time stuff. I I watched uh, Kirk Cameron, those Kirk Cameron movies, Left Behind. I unwisely got on the internet and started watching whatever video I could. Oh, no. Just random dudes in their basement talking about end times. And I really did build up this fear because, you know, this was, man, this was, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008. And there's all these people on the internet being like, Obama's the Antichrist. The end of the world's happening now. And I remember being scared, being like, I'm not even going to graduate high school before the end of the world. And like... Uh, all wrapped up in this rapture stuff is this understanding that if you're not raptured, you're going to be left on earth where earth is basically a hellhole, and it's going to be awful. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it was just this idea of like, I don't want that to happen. And all these horrible things are going to lead up. It's like, I don't want it to be the end of the world. There's so much left to live for. And so one of the reasons I, I think this question is misguided is it places all of the focus on one day being in heaven but the scriptures are so focused on heaven on earth now. Right. And you mentioned, you know, Paul talks about 
we are citizens of heaven, right? And I think so often we hear that and we go, oh, we're citizens of heaven. We just need to get to our place of citizenship. But when you understand the first century geography, when Paul says you're a citizen of heaven, he, he's a byproduct of the way the Roman government did things. And so if you're a citizen of Rome, that doesn't necessarily mean you live in Rome. Right. There are provinces and there are outposts and there are different parts that are ruled by Rome. And so when he says you are a citizen of heaven, what he's saying is you have citizenship of heaven here on earth and you were to bring heaven here. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. If you really study, especially in Matthew, what he's saying in his teachings, it's all about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like this parable after parable, teaching after teaching. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He's not saying this is what it's going to be like one day. He's saying this is how you're supposed to live here and now in order to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here to earth. It's that third way living, that third way thinking, um, that upside down kingdom where, you know, you don't seek revenge. You don't seek eye for an eye. You turn the other cheek. You, you know, reach out to the poorest of the poor, to the outcasts of society and where the least are the greatest and the greatest are the least. Yeah, I think you guys have touched on something really important here. And I'd love to ask just a hypothetical question to both of you or either of you and see how you would answer it. Pretend that God revealed to you in some way that you knew 100% that it was God authoritatively revealing something to you. And God told you that Jesus was going to return exactly 30 days from right now. What would you do? If I knew 100%, uh, without it, 100%, 100%, it would definitely change the way I lived. It would increase the sense of urgency with which I live my life. It would also probably cause me to quit my job because if it's only 30 days, I, I can live off of that on my savings. And I don't know specifically what I would do. I'd really have to think that through. I would hope that also in that conversation that he would give me some sort of specific purpose. I, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. Well, and here's why I ask it. I think that anyone that you ask that question to, myself included, would give a similar answer to what you said that ultimately comes down to it would change the way that I live. And yeah, I'm not saying, Dan, that you should go out and quit your job, but you saying that tells me that you view some things as being so important, you would want time to do them that your job would take away from. And my point with all this is why I feel like this question is not helpful, is if we know there are things we should be doing differently in how we live, why does it have to take knowing when Jesus will return to make those changes? Like, it, it's not a, a helpful question because we should just be living that way anyways. Not saying, well, I'll just start living that way when we get closer to when Jesus returns. So that's why I want to know when he's going to return. Well, exactly. And it, it almost... What you just said made me feel like a guilt trip thing. Like, oh man, like I need to be living with urgency. And that preaches really well. And I think that's kind of the problem. That preaches a little too well. 
And it doesn't, it's not helpful because it doesn't take in mind the nuances of life. It doesn't take in mind the nuances of needing a job if you're going to live longer than 30 days. And, and that's the problem, right? We, we need the incentive of going to heaven, the, this impending idea of going to heaven right away to actually start doing kingdom work in the world. But w- what if we shifted our perspective to, no, 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 the goal is to bring heaven here. And if we're not doing that, then w- why are we surprised we're asking, when is Jesus coming back? Or, and that's not to say that we have to start doing things to get Jesus to return, but we've shifted it to let's sit back and just wait until Jesus comes back. And then all this kingdom of heaven stuff will happen. But Jesus was so insistent that the kingdom is here now, and he invited us to join it now on earth. So the idea that we need some incentive to get going, I think the parable of the talents, right? He goes away you know, the, you know, the servants with all the talents, some do the work, some don't. I think most of the church today, myself included, is the, the servant that got the talent and put it in the ground and we're just waiting. You know, Andrew, I think that that is a really good point, but I'd also love to focus on one little thing that you just said in that response, because I think it's also worth bringing up in this conversation. You said, it's not like we're saying we have to do things in order for Jesus to return, but there are actually a lot of people who do believe that. And I've heard people make cases that I actually don't think are way out there, that they have some pretty decent arguments that part of the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because, for example, the church still hasn't fulfilled the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations. Or, you know, there's the case that until every uh, people group has heard the message and had the opportunity to respond, all of these different things. I, I don't know th- how much I agree with the specifics of that, but the argument that Jesus has still not returned because the church has still not fulfilled the mission it's been given, I also think provides an interesting nuance to the question, when will Jesus return? That also makes it not helpful of like, well, when will Jesus return? Well, the reason that's not a great question is because we're the reason he hasn't returned yet. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of that. I was just saying, I don't believe it's a formula do X, Y, Z, then Jesus will return. You know know what I mean? The question, when will Jesus return? If you have that framework is not helpful because the win is completely based upon you. So you're missing the point. If you're just sitting around saying, when will Jesus return? The real question in that situation would be like, well, what are you doing to make it happen? Get on it. Yeah. Yeah, And you know, a lot of uh, Christians get caught up on Matthew 24 and that little section of scripture in Matthew and all the eschatology and end time stuff. But I really think it'd be more helpful if we got more caught up with the terrible parable of the talents, like I referenced earlier. I think that is so pertinent to this discussion of when will Jesus return? That parable is just drenched in eschatology, whether we recognize it or not, about Jesus in the parable being the master who's away and he's given us these talents. And in my interpretation is the talents is the gospel, because that's what the book of Matthew is all about. At the end, he sends them out to spread the gospel. He entrusts us with the gospel message. And some of us go and multiply that 
And some of us, a lot of us in the church today have taken that stance, what you just referenced, which is, well, I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come and do all that stuff. And we buried it in the sand. And if we let the question, when will Jesus return, become an excuse to sit and twiddle our thumbs, it's a bad question. So my struggle with guiding this whole conversation is that this is completely dependent upon how you view the end times. And the truth is, I maybe have some thoughts, but I have no idea the correct answer of what the end will look like or even what the end even means. But the question, when will Jesus return, I think, as Andrew said, can lead toward being passive, just sitting around, waiting around for it to happen, wondering how much longer. But we've said we want whatever questions we come up with to be a call to action. And this this isn't better questions yet, but this is a next step getting us there. Depending on your end-time theology, if you think Jesus will return when Israel has been established as a nation again and has reconstructed a temple, well, then maybe you should be donating some money to fund a temple build. Like, if that's really what you think, then that's what you should be doing. If you think Jesus will return when every people group has heard the gospel, well, then you, sh- you should be going to the remote tribes. And so-, so there are multiple calls to action that are really important depending on what you view leads up to Christ returning. There's just a bajillion different views about that. I, I am hesitant, though. <laughs> if your end times theology leads you to encouraging a war so Jesus will come back. I'm a little hesitant to say go for it. Yeah. And, and this whole discussion you just brought up is based on the idea or the belief that Jesus is waiting for us to do something before he returns. And there is a whole camp of people out there that don't believe that, that believe that Jesus is going to come when he's good and ready, (laughs) when the time comes, whenever it is. And uh, it's like, ready or not, here I come. For me, and I I don't want to take the position of, here's the type of eschatology you need to believe in, or here's my theology in the end times, you should believe it too. I think there is a wide range of beliefs that you are free to study and kind of invest in. But for me, my own personal guardrails are if your eschatology becomes super specific and detailed in their timelines and charts, I think you're headed in the wrong direction. I I think all eschatology and end times theology that Chris referenced earlier should be somehow rooted in this mystery and this idea of even Jesus doesn't know. And the further we paint and sketch these really specific pictures of the end times, I believe we're headed in the wrong direction. And I, 
and like many the- theological beliefs, I think we should hold it with an open hand and be willing to say, well, I, I could be wrong and maybe this isn't absolutely right and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. And why part of why I bring this up too, I guess, is because I'm trying to express the importance of having a good theology of the end. The fancy word for that is eschatology. Um, and obviously we don't have time in a 60 minute podcast to walk through, um, the years and years that the three of us even have looked into eschatology through Bible college classes and books and all of that. But it's, it is important. And maybe we can even throw out some resources that have helped us develop thoughts toward that, that then lead to action for maybe some of the listeners that have never even read a single thing to begin developing that view for themselves. Yeah. Um, for me, one resource that was very, very helpful was the Bible project videos on revelation. Uh, they just really helped me see all of the old Testament references that John makes in the symbolism in that book. And I think Tim Mackey, who is the narrator of that video or those videos does a really great job in connecting those dots and then pointing to what the meaning is of the book, at least from one historical angle and one literary angle. So it was really helpful to me. I also agree, Andrew, that if you, if you get too far down on the road of charts and timelines and all that stuff, I think you're getting wrapped up in making the wrong thing the main thing. I think that the end times theology stuff just sounds so cool it sounds spooky. It's kind of like a Stephen King novel. It's kind of like a uh, a blockbuster film of when is the end going to come. It's got this like mystical, spiritual mystery to it. And I think it's really attractive. That's why they were able to sell millions of fiction books about Left Behind. Um, we're just, you know, drawn to stories like that that are full of intrigue and mystery. But again... Focusing on when will Jesus return and focusing on all that stuff to me is like focusing on the completely wrong things. Let's focus on the teachings of Jesus and how to live the the way he uh, taught us to, to bring the kingdom of heaven here now, be living in this moment to try and do everything we can for him and then let the end be the end when it comes like so for me i guess it's a roundabout way of saying like i don't really even think about it that much at all maybe to a fault i've studied it some um but i don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it day to day yeah well uh two resources i would recommend that actually just do a really great job unpacking what dan was just saying one would be surprised by hope by nt wright which um, really walks through the idea of what what is the biblical understanding of the end uh, when heaven meets earth, and how do we how do we live with that understanding? Um, and then also, you know, 
there's more about this than just the book of Revelation, but that's the one that everyone talks about. And if you want to understand that better, a book that I would recommend uh, is called Revelation and the End of All Things by... Is that Richard Bauckham? No. Uh, Richard Bauckham is Theology of Revelation, which is also a fantastic book. I recommend that one. Uh Revelation and the End of All Things is Craig Kester. Oh, Kester. Yeah, that's good. I would also like to throw out uh, Michael Gorman's reading Revelation responsibly if you want a really good historical analysis on the book of Revelation. But I don't I don't know how many book nerds we have on this podcast. I tried to balance it out. I knew you guys would have a lot. And so I said a YouTube video. Yeah, some of the ones we recommended are uh, a little bit more academic, but still worth the read. Well, neither of the ones I recommended are. I also recommend you read a uh, a small book called uh, the Bible, the, <laughs> the Revelation of John. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy book, man, but I love it. Is there any other facets of this conversation? that we've yet to hit that we really think are important. Um, maybe even getting off the trail a little bit of when will Jesus return, but are there any other end times theologies that we feel are not as helpful that maybe through that conversation can, will help us reframe a better question? I think there's a lot in general, whether it be revelation or just end times theology that has to do with the difference between uh, pictures and or images and words so this idea that a lot of what the bible has to say about the end times they're images and they're not they're not empirical photographs but they're pictures it's picture language and whether that be the book of daniel ezekiel again the book of revelation references those and borrows images from the old testament books and I think there's a lot of, there's so much we could benefit from by focusing on the idea that pictures are to be taken as pictures and not empirical photographs of reality, right? The book of Revelation is filled with mentions of there's a dragon, there's a beast, there's a woman on the seven hills. And I think if we start asking, okay, what is the point of these pictures and not how will this come to fruition in reality? And once you start asking those questions, you'll find yourself into the world of historical analysis and uh, historical context and the seven hills being Rome as Rome was on seven hills and the dragon and the beast and where those images come from and just all of this uh, historical context that's so helpful in dealing with even even the return of jesus talked about in the gospels and in the epistles is deeply rooted in the roman empire so this idea of jesus coming back and in first thessalonians 4 and it says we will meet him in the air and then we will follow jesus back onto earth and there are trumpets announcing the return of jesus and, and an angel shouts out who is this one coming on the clouds? And it's, oh, it's, it's the Messiah and it's shouting his name. What John is doing is he's just copying the way a Caesar would come in to Rome. 
the the Perusia, the Perusia, right? And so Caesar would walk in, there'd be a trumpet, someone would shout out, this is Caesar. The people in the city would go out and meet him and then follow him back into the city. So no wonder when Paul and John are talking about the return of Jesus, they paint that same picture because they are deeply seated in this Roman culture of, of the king, the Caesar comes, they, the people meet him, they identify the Caesar and they follow him back into the city. And that's not to say it's all metaphorical and it's all made up, but they're just using the language that was available to them. And when we start translating that to 21st century America, we start getting problems. For instance, uh, there was a very common phrase in that day, which is, there is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, the name of Caesar. It's like Paul and a lot of the biblical writers are saying, here's something in the culture that everyone knows, and then I'll, I'll turn it to point it towards Christ. Um, it'd be like as if today we wrote, um, there's one who can make America great again, and it's Jesus. Uh, that is a bad example, but it's an example of, of a political phrase that everyone would, would know about. The other thing I wanted to say is that, like Andrew alluded to, I just wanted to make it more clear. In saying that these things are symbols and have representations that could be images or parables or uh, callbacks to something in Rome, doesn't mean it can't literally happen that way. Um, that, you know, God's ultimate wisdom hasn't said, well, these both can be true. It can, it can be an image and a callback to Rome and can literally happen. I'm not trying to limit God and say, that's not what it is. I think what Andrew uh, is saying, another way to phrase it would be to say, to quote Richard Rohr, that the literal meaning is the least helpful version of the meaning. There's so much more as you go away from the strictly literal that's there in all these depths of um, symbolism and and meaning. And if you just stay at the literal, again, not to say that it can't literally be true or didn't literally happen, but if you just stay there, you're missing so much more that you can discover uh through, through the study. There's deeper meaning if you study it deeper. Well, I think this is as good a time as any to transition into some better questions, if I may begin leading us that direction. So one thing I'm noticing in this conversation, maybe you guys disagree with me. That's okay. Uh, kick back to the last episode. So the problem is, again, we say that we want questions that bring unity and that call us to action. And a lot of these things we're talking about here do neither. If we say, hey, the premillennialists have it right, the postmillennialists have it right, the amillennialists have it right, the people who say, I don't know what any of that means and I don't really care, have it right. Okay, like we answered the question of maybe when or how, but in what way does that call us to action? And I feel like it, it doesn't really to know the order of events or how much longer it might be. Even if we had an answer to that question, does it, does it change us or does it call us to action? And I think that there are some questions we could pose 
that people in all different camps of end times theology could agree upon. Uh, so what, one question that I have in my mind, maybe you guys can help clean up the wording some here, is something like, what, what would it look like for me to live as if Jesus was coming back today? Or what would I want Jesus to find me doing when he returns? Kind of like how Andrew alluded to the parable of the talents. I think that that's more the area that my mind is going towards right now. We're definitely on the right track. And I remember when I was a teenager, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, but I was just starting to get into studying revelation and I was taking it like super seriously. And you came home from Bible college and I was asking you all these questions like, who's the antichrist? When's the rapture going to happen? And you probably looked at me with pity, uh, like, Oh, this poor soul. But I remember you looking at me and you just, you just saying something of the effect. You can get lost all day. I'm trying to figure out those questions, Andrew. But the real question you should be asking yourself is, what should I be doing until Jesus comes back? And I that has stuck with me to this day. This idea of like, what should I be doing until Jesus comes back? And I think that incorporates those questions you threw out. The idea of any discussion of the future, I believe, needs to begin in the present. And if our questions keep pushing everything to the future... We come back to that twiddling of thumbs. So I think any question of that same ilk will work, whether that be um, how can I live like Jesus is returning today or what should I be doing until then? Yeah, and that's why I think that question that I posed to you guys earlier is such an interesting exercise. Like if you knew for a fact Jesus was coming back in X number of days, what would you do if you knew it was all our, our time on earth as we experience it now will all be over in two weeks? And if your answer is, well, I, I would I would go reconcile with my parents. Well, do do that today. Like, you know, it, I think that that begins directing directing your thinking, as you said, Andrew, what what should I be doing until Jesus returns if like the parable of the talents, it's about the way that you're expanding the kingdom, the way that you're bringing heaven to earth, the way that you're caring for the least of these. Like that, if that's the daily thing, and if your answer would be, well, if I knew Jesus was coming back, I'd do more of those things. Well, that's where <laughs> this, that becomes not a helpful question. When will Jesus return? Well, like you said, well, how should we be living until that happens, regardless of whether it's going to happen in our lifetime or not? Yeah, I sound like I was very wise in Bible college. Yeah, what happened to that, Dan? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I kind of already proposed a question through you, I guess. Yeah, we just time traveled back to like 2007. Um, but actually, it was funny. I was sitting here struggling with a wording for a better question, and then... You reminding me of something I said, what, like 10 years ago. Yeah. It, it is exactly where my brain was going. Like, what should I be doing now 
until Jesus returns. Um, and I, I don't know, part of me doesn't love the what if Jesus came back today language because, I don't know, at least for me, um, it brings up a little too much urgency and a little too much anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, I have to rush and get, you know, get this all done. And it implies you're doing it only because Jesus is coming back. Yeah, I get that. Right. Though I think it is a good exercise to do occasionally to, to root out if there's anything left unfinished or undone that you really Can need I push to... back on that some? Though? Yeah, yeah, please. I, I get the anxiety part and that's not what I'm advocating for. Um, but I also think that there's a healthy way to work through that. But I, I think in some ways I'm actually a proponent of the urgency part. I'm just not a proponent for the motives that are typically associated with that. I don't think the motives for the urgency should be because I don't want to get in trouble from Jesus when he comes back. I think the motives for that urgency are because I want as many people to experience the kingdom of God right now. Uh, Like, I don't want you to have to wait any longer to experience the kingdom. And I think living in that sense of urgency of like, today could be the day that you experience that kingdom. And I, I think that there is a sense of urgency with that, that I think is healthy versus just being like, Oh, we got plenty of time. Maybe yeah. I'll talk to, maybe I'll talk to them about that next week. I, I get that too. And again, I think that is healthy to do as an exercise. I just don't know that I could personally ask myself that question every day and feel that urgency because um, and maybe I'm taking it too literally, but like to, t- for me, if that's the better question, like it just leaves me like, man, what if Jesus came back today? It would make me never want to take a Sabbath. It would make me never want to rest. Like, and I think that that's part of the wisdom of not letting us know when, you know, the wisdom of God, because he also lays out like, here's what a healthy life looks like. And it includes rest. And I want there to be urgency in my life. I want calls to action and I need, you know, that kick in the behind every once in a while. But I don't know that I'd want it every day because I also know I need to be healthy and I need to rest. So maybe where some of the disconnect is, it is I'm coming at that from what I'm trying to view as a healthy understanding of a relationship with God. And I know a lot of people have a lot of different baggage and associations with the idea of Jesus returning. But in my opinion, if Jesus returned and I was taking Sabbath, like he'd be really pleased with that. And so I think that a question of like, if Jesus returned today and yeah, I was... I was experiencing rest in him through Sabbath with my family. I think that like Jesus would be really pleased with that. Yeah, you're right. I also think there are things that if I said, what if Jesus returned today and I was showing hatred toward my neighbor, like that changes the way that I view, like that's more the way I'm approaching it. Yeah, I I get that. And and maybe it's, um, yeah. I, I, I've just been having to process it, but the more I, the more you're talking me through it, it makes sense because especially if you're on Sabbath 
from actually doing kingdom work and bringing the kingdom here, not just, well, it's Sunday and I've done my same old things, but I want to rest after I went to church. Um, and, and I think that question does help balance, uh, the urgency, but also looking at it that way that Jesus would be pleased with rest if done during, you know, in the midst of kingdom work. It, yeah, I, I like yeah, it better and, now. And I will say, I do like the question better. How, how should I be living until Jesus returns, regardless of when that happens? But I think if I'm asking, I think that there's similar thoughts behind both questions of, well, what if Jesus returned today? Well, I would want to be living how I should be living until Jesus returns. More so than I would say, well, like, I better be doing these things every single day. Otherwise, I'm going to be in big trouble. That, like, that's, that's the difference in thought for me that all leads to the question, how should we be living until Jesus returns? Yeah. And I think both those questions are great and helpful. And we've done this multiple times where we don't just have one better question or more helpful question, but we have multiple. And I think you take the ingredients of those questions and you can form your own better question that may make more sense to you. That's what we're trying to do. And I think at the, to wrap some of this up, whatever your interpretation of revelation is or your rapture views. And I know we, it sounded like we were dogging rapture theology that that's not where I land, but at the end of the day, whether you believe there's going to be a rapture, whether you are premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial or whatever the other views are, we all should be able to live the way Christ exampled in the gospels every day until he returns. And we should be able to do that together regardless of some of our varying theologies. And that's what I love about that question is it encourages this type of shalom like living on earth, which is, which is creating peace and feeding the hungry and clothing those who don't have clothes and, and, you know, providing for the poor. And that's bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. And I think if we all can unite around that, who cares about these other arguments and, and discussions and questions and, debates we should be spending our time living the way christ lived on earth instead of doing some of that other stuff and then if he does come on that day when we're doing that awesome and if he waits a little bit longer awesome because we get to just bring the kingdom further into this world you know how sometimes you hear those stories of like these cults or groups of people that get together and the leader has cracked the code of the Bible and they've determined an exact date of when Jesus is going to return and or when the world is going to end. And so they get some sort of property or building and they all come together and just kind of bunker down together waiting for that date to come. That is, we look at that usually and think that's crazy and extreme, but the problem is with this question, so many Christians live in that exact way where the view is, okay, I've accepted Jesus. I, I know now that I'm saved. And so I just have this kind of bunkered down mentality until Jesus returns where I'm just hiding out, getting through this life, 
so I can get to the next one? And that's the question of well, how much longer till Jesus returns? When will Jesus come back? Hopefully this doesn't have to go on that much longer. And that view that so many Christians hold completely distracts us from this idea that whenever Jesus returns, whether we experience that in our lifetime or not, we're called to live in this certain way every day in a way that invites people into the kingdom of God and brings heaven to earth. Yeah, all of this conversation is bringing to mind um, like a picture in my head of, let's say, a master uh, or a boss who has workers and he gives them a task and he leaves them for the day. And when he returns, does he want to see them like everybody just sitting there kind of like twiddling their thumbs? Or would it be better for him to come back and it's just a bustle of activity as everyone is working and he gets to stand there for a moment just watching everyone work and they don't even notice that he's back yet. And I feel like um, you could also, you know, take that another direction, like a son coming home from college or something and uh, he walks through the door and in one scenario... Everyone's just sitting stoically in the living room, all his family waiting for him to return. And when he gets there, he can barely even get the door open. They watched him come out of the car and they just like attack him with with hugs and stuff. And that could be fine. But how much better, perhaps, could it be if he opens the door and people are hustling up the stairs and people are in the kitchen and like he walks into the like several rooms and people don't even quite notice he's there yet and then they do and then it's a celebration um i don't know i just in my mind right now that just seems like a much more beautiful picture of the return of christ that perhaps he'll come and if we're doing the work of bringing the kingdom of god to earth and focused there and focused now, what if we didn't even realize he was here and he could just watch us all work and bring the kingdom before we noticed he was here? And I think a helpful, well, what's helpful for me when I think about Christ's return is I have to start with Christ's ascension. And and all the gospels paint it in this way of Jesus says, here's work to do, go do it. He doesn't say, Hey, sit back, relax. Uh, I'll be right back. Give me a second. No, no, he says, proclaim the good news, baptize, teach, do everything I taught you, go now. And then the one example we have of one of the disciples sitting there asking questions about the future, Jesus scolds him, right? You have Peter in the book of John and Jesus is about to go away. And Peter's like, well, what about him pointing to John? Like, what is he supposed to do? And, and Jesus is just like, Peter, don't worry about him. Feed my sheep feed my sheep, take care, do the things I taught you. And we're and so often the church has just been Peter just going like, well, when are you going to return? Well, what about them? Well, can I, can I sit at your right hand? Yeah. We're, we're, we're the, we're the, the example that Chris painted of the, of those cults who just sit there on the mountaintop. We're just waiting, but that's Any more seconds. Yeah. But that's not what Jesus wanted us to do. He said, take my hand. I will be with you. Let's, let's go proclaim the good news get going and if and if any of our end times theology doesn't involve that i think we've missed the point 
Well, that was another episode of the Better Questions podcast. I hope our discussion was helpful and fruitful. And I know you probably need a minute to recuperate from your mind exploding, need to scoop up that brain matter and put it back in your skull. But we're just so thankful you've continued to listen. Please, again, if you're loving our podcast and loving this discussion, don't be shy about leaving a comment on iTunes or giving us a rating or just spreading it and sharing this on Facebook or any of your social medias. We'd really appreciate it. And we're working up a new episode here coming in the next couple weeks. So you might not see us post for a Monday or two, but trust me, this episode we're working on is going to be great. So just look forward to that. We won't be posting in the next week or two, but that doesn't mean we're not doing the podcast. It's coming soon.